contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. As always, we're presented by BetOnline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts, as you know. They're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet, of which this podcast is part of. Use that promo code, all caps, PODCAST1, to get that 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag special Business of Sports podcasts. Moving outside the world of the NFL, moving outside of the world of men's sports into a sport I never talk about, but I am this week because such a story, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, is being formed by the women largely from the 2018 gold medal Olympic team, and they are going outside the box here. They're forming their own league and turning their back on the National Women's Hockey League in the States. The Canadian version has shuttered. We're going to hear from Hillary Knight and Jocelyn Lamoureux, two of the stars in women's hockey, really talk about what's going on here. And as you remember, I had an earlier podcast two years ago when they boycotted the Women's Hockey World Championships in 2016. So this continues efforts by this league and these players to sort of sacrifice for the greater good. You'll hear them in a moment. First, my rant of the week, back to the NFL News this week that NFL has formed a couple committees to talk about pain management and mental health. On the mental health side, quickly, yes, of course, that's good. We've been getting out of this feeling that depression is something to hide. We all go through it, myself included. And we've had famous athletes such as Kevin Love, such as Brandon Marshall in the NFL, really talk about their situations that only helps destigmatize what's going on. So kudos on the mental health and kudos on the pain management. It sounds like the union and the league, which again, can't ever agree on the color of the sky, can agree to sort of talk about. Now, nowhere in the press release is the word marijuana, but that's what everyone's going to focus on. And that's what I focus on. I'm going to write about it for Sports Illustrated next week. I just think that pain management has been a traditionally opioid-based treatment in the NFL. And I was part of it. I was in the league for 10 years. I saw our team doctor hand out Vicodin and other pain managements, the traditional protocol of opioids, but that's changing. And now we have medicinal legalization of marijuana in many states, obviously recreational use in some states like California, Colorado, Washington, etc. But what's interesting now is that you have them talking about it. Will it lead to legalization in the NFL law, forget about state law, for marijuana use? I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of layers to unpack here. Number one, we do have testing in this, in, this country, uh, in this league for marijuana, but when I mentioned the NFLPA and the NFL agreed on something, they're the only thing they've agreed on since the CBA is really to raise the threshold for marijuana testing from 15 NGs, nanograms per liter, to 35. Again, it's a low threshold, meaning that's easier to test, but it's a little harder to test positive than it was before. So they've raised that standard in conjunction with allowances for some HGH testing, preliminary testing as well. But, <clears throat> but that 35 NGs compares to 50 in baseball and 150 on the WADA, World Anti-Doping, So it is a low standard, which means you can test positive. But players wanted that in there because I guess, I guess, some were testing positive 
for what amounted to secondhand smoke. That will happen no longer, I guess, with the 35. But will the NFL totally relax it to uh, have it as a use for pain management? As so many advocate, I've had Eugene Monroe on this podcast talking about it. Obviously, Kyle Turley, uh, Jake Plummer, and now Chris Long being very vocal about it as well as he retires from the NFL. I don't know. I mean, listen, I think we have to be realistic about the NFL. They're relentless negotiators. They will not give away concessions. So it's going to be a collective bargaining angle. I know the union is going to say, well, health and safety shouldn't be collectively bargained. But management's going to really say, if not say in so many words, that, hey, we have testing now. And yes, it's it's lax and starts on 420, April 20th. How about that? At least they have a sense of humor. But to give it up, I think the NFL is going to want something. And again, when we talk about the union and priorities and the collective bargaining, not a lot to give up. So again, what I want to sort of leave this rant with is kudos to the NFL and LFPA for A, talking. First time it seems like they're doing that in a while. Because I always lament that they don't get any collective bargaining done until we hear about Armageddon in three years. Number two, that they're dealing with mental health. I hired a clinician in Green Bay. Obviously, it was not mandatory, but I asked her to meet with every player if she could. And that was 10 years ago. Now, this destigmatization is important at this point. And then, of course, to deal with pain management alternatives. And obviously, there are going to be a lot besides marijuana, but the key is getting away from opioids and the addictions that come along with that. And, you know, again, as Eugene Monroe and others have said, marijuana is a safer alternative than things like alcohol. Again, people can debate that, but I happen to believe that as well. That's my rant of the week. Um, I just think it's something that we have got to get to a point of societal tolerance for marijuana. We actually have that, just like we have it for gambling. The NFL had to be sort of drag-kicking and screaming into the sports betting world, losing in court in the Supreme Court. Now it's state by state. They wanted federal. And, it, you know, following the path of the NHL with Vegas, following the path of the NBA with the MGM deal. So these are the kind of things the NFL kind of doesn't want to be a first mover on. That's my rant of the week. Now let's get to our guests. And there's two of them, as I mentioned. Professional Women's Hockey League. Uh, It's going to be a new one. They're going to be barnstorming. They're turning their back on the old league. Without further ado, from the newly formed Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, star players Jocelyn Lamoureux and Hillary Knight. Ladies, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Hillary, can you talk about what went into this decision and to sort of turn your back on the upcoming league and look for a way to form a new league in North America? Yeah, so the whole premise by, by forming an association was um, 200 plus players had a grander vision for the sport, and we're trying to create something that's uh, sustainable and viable for the future, not only for us to play in a professional league. Um, with a good business model, but for next generations that are coming up to have a career uh, playing in women's hockey. And that's that's the, the goal, and that's our intent of forming this association. What were the problems before the formation? What are you sort of upset about? What are you trying to change? Well, <laughs> um, I think, you know, it, to be honest, living off of $2,000 uh, for a salary and not being provided health care, adequate resources, um, you know, little intricacies at the rink, whether it's, you know, skate sharpening or ice time or 
uh, locker rooms. I mean, all these things come into play when you're trying to have a professional league. Um, however, just base foundation of having a proper, sustainable business model um, that we can see growth in and be comfortable playing in to sort of say, you know what, you know, this is convenient. We can play in this league right now, but we want to build something better and more sustainable and more viable for the future. And that's what, what our goal is. That's what we need to do. Yeah, Jocelyn, you want to comment on that in terms of how this PWHPA got formed in terms of how did you hear about it? Where did this come from? How long ago? And, and where are you now with it? Well, there's been discussions about, you know, what's best for women's hockey. Um, I would say it's in a lot more conversations since the 2018 Olympics. And mm-hmm. um, I personally have, I'm, I'm probably one of the only players that hasn't played in either of the leagues. Um, and so I would say it's for me, um, I, I've never took the plunge into either league. Um, I kind of set roots in North Dakota and, like Hillary said, making sure you have the, the proper accommodations, being treated like professionals. Um, I never took that plunge uh, be, personally because, um, you know, that's a big sacrifice uh, to move your family when, when you're not being compensated and you're not being treated adequately, I would say, as an athlete. And so uh, as far as when the conversations have been happening, um, I would say when the CWHL folded, it really um, – it really picked up the pace as far as timelines uh, for these conversations. And I've uh, sat out this year, I've been on maternity leave. And so um, I would say that I've really gotten involved um, more so in the last, um, in the last month or so. Um, But I would say I'm just proud to be a part of this group and uh, the players at world really stepped up. They met regardless of, you know, playing in the world championships, um, they, they really came together. And, uh, so I'm, I'm just proud to be a part of the group and hopefully we're taking steps in the right direction. Hiller, you mentioned the, the compensation in the league that you're turning your back on $2,000. That's for the season. Um, yeah, so that's it. And obviously there's a range of what players get paid, but, um, you know, that's something we're, we're really trying to close the gap when we move forward. And that's why, what we're doing collectively as a unified voice, whether it's national team or non-national team players, we want to take professional women's hockey to the next level. Um, and obviously $2,000 low end, no one can live off of that. <laughs> you have right. to work another job and that really cuts into the type of product we're trying to put on the ice every single night in front of our fans. And not only do we deserve it as, as athletes at, at this elite level and the sacrifices we've made, but more so for the fans um, and the young girls that get to see what we're doing and be able to have that opportunity to um, have a better foundation than how we enter the professional level. Um, so it's really, it's, it's bigger than ourselves. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people identify with that and it came to a boiling point. And as Jocelyn said, it, the CWHL folding, it was also, it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it really bumped up our timeline. It forced um, countries to get together professional players to get together and say, look, like, this is what we have. We have a great opportunity to build something better. Um, and we're going to forego the convenience of playing somewhere today in order to build a better tomorrow. Yeah. And you mentioned something, Jocelyn, about obviously Canadian league folding and being from Canada. I thought it's interesting that your formation of this union is really going to be an international group, right? American, Canadian, and European players all together. Yeah, we want the best players in the world, um, and 
we think that we can have one league in North America that showcases women's hockey, um, not just women's hockey players, not just in North America, but around the world. And so we're excited that uh, we have Europeans that um, want to be involved in the association. Um, but yeah, I think we all are of the same mindset. Um, no matter what country we play for, we all want to play with and against each other all year round in one league. Um, and so that's exciting for it to be international. Hillary, tell me exactly what you're looking for with, with this formation of the PWHPA. You're looking for some established league or are you looking for investors to form a new league? Uh, if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, so the forming of PWHA, PWHPA, sorry, a little yeah. mouthful there, um, yeah. is really to provide, uh, I guess, you know, infrastructure for us during this year that, um, you know, we're not playing in, in any professional league in North America and to guide and uh, have a formal place that resources can kind of get pushed into um, so that we can get those out to the players that need it the most. Um, so really it's, it's being able to provide a formal structure that helps us go about our day to day and continue to allow us to train at the most optimal level. So, you know, we're still playing, but we're not affiliated uh, anywhere professionally. So are you gathering to practice and play as, as, as we speak? Well, right now we're in the off season. So um, a, lot, yeah. a lot of the games are made right now. So we're, we're in our respective locations doing what we usually do, um, preparing for a year and, and off ice training and some on ice training. But, you know, typically once our, um, you know, the traditional hockey season timeline starts up, we're going to have, um, you know, players being at, whether that looks like scrimmages or exhibitions, We'll have players traveling to play one another, and I think it's a it's a great opportunity because um, fans are going to be able to see this this high talented level product um, near them, and so we're not going to lose any momentum. I think, in a way, this provides a unique opportunity to really showcase the best of the best. And how is your funding being determined? Well, funding uh, there's there's a lot of people that want to lend a hand and help out. Um, you know, so we've got you know different partners and, and sponsorships. Um, that are that are interested, and uh, that's one of the keys of forming a, a structure for them to kind of put those resources into um, when it makes sense for them. Now, Hillary, were you involved? I know you were actually, because I think I had you on this program then, along with Megan Dugan, uh, in the boycott of the World Championships a couple of years ago. Yeah, Jocelyn and I both were. Jocelyn as well. Yeah. So, did you yeah. feel like that stand was certainly something that? promoted some change and promoted some differences now that you look back on it? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of value for what we did, not only in our sport, but also spark change in other industry. But I mean, for example, Jocelyn's um, maternity leave, and that's not something we had before. Um, so there's, there's a lot of amazing things that came out of um, our equitable support fight. And I think just thematically we learned collectively, our voices are so strong and powerful um, and it really uh, provided the fabric that we needed to move forward and do something like this, I guess, again, in a different respect. Jocelyn, you comment yeah, on and that? Also, yeah, I would just like to comment on, um, like, the maternity leave. But on maternity leave, uh, basically, since the Olympics, um, I was able to get pregnant three months after. And so to have that support um, financially, uh but then to know that I'll have an opportunity to come back uh, and try out um, for the team um, 
if we didn't have that in place, I would probably have retired, even though I feel like I'm kind of at the peak of my career. So it's really, I think, changing the game for women's hockey, but is also, I think, a good example of what other sports can do to support athletes who are further in their career but might want to start a family. And that's a hot topic. The New York Times just printed an article um, on Nike and their track athletes, and Nike has now said that they're going to support their female athletes um, if they do get pregnant. Um, And so it's just, I think, you know, it's a great example uh, for what – what issues women deal with in, in everyday life, not just in sports. And so I know for my sister and I, um, the contract that we were able to come to agreement with USA hockey has definitely changed, um, the length of our career. That's awesome. And, and, you know, we see this, as you know, better than I, we see this going on in different sports, the WNBA making some noise about the upcoming collective bargaining agreement. You have issues in women's tennis that, Obviously, stars like Serena and Venus have been behind. So it does seem to me there's a change going on throughout. What do you say to skeptics? And I didn't mention even women's soccer, of course. What do you say to the to the naysayers that say, well, they never you know, draw the revenues or the support or the interest of men's sports? They should be happy with what they get, which I do here. To be honest, I think the people that say that aren't educated and they are not fully aware of the landscape of women's sports and uh, specific sports in general. Um, I'm pretty sure women's soccer, uh, the U.S. team, has brought in more more money for USA soccer the last couple of years. Um, I don't know the numbers exactly, but I know for a couple of years that's been the case. Um, So, you know, soccer is a great example of what, more support and marketing can do for a women's national team. It didn't just start yesterday. Uh, U.S. soccer um, has been going through what we've been going through for the last 20, 25 years, and now look at that support that they're still trying to get, but they've had more support for over 20 years. And now look at you have women's soccer players who are, uh, you know, on mainstream media and people know who they are. I mean, I know right. more women's soccer players than I do on the men's team. Um, and I think the WNBA is a great example. And look at where the NCAA women's basketball tournament has now gone 20 years, the WNBA. And now look, you have thousands of people going to watch women's basketball in the NCAA. And it's, if you build it, it takes a generation you know, to grow, but it, it, it happens. And you just have to look at the successful leagues that have done that over the past 10, 20 years. Well said. And, and what's your vision, Jocelyn, on what women's hockey will look like when the season approaches, when the time for playing approaches later this year? Uh, well, I think later this year, what we're hoping uh, and what I think we, you know, we're working on right now and, we're excited about uh, the opportunities that Hillary listed earlier uh, in this in this interview is having games um, in the in the markets where players are uh, majority located um, and showcasing women's hockey with the top uh, women's players in the world and it's not just national team players it's players that have already played in these professional leagues and are opting to be a part of the association and not play in any league this year. Um, and so we're going to have, you know, games, um, practices and training. And so I think just having a 
a sound uh, a schedule is the goal uh, with games, practices, and training uh, for the players that are within the association. Just to clarify, and Hillary, you can answer, are we talking about a league with established markets and going to travel and play against each other? Or are we talking uh, about kind of a barnstorming group that goes from market to market playing each other? I just want to clarify this. Yeah, so technically uh, we won't have an official capacity as a league. Um, that's not what we're interested in doing. Um, so I think we're taking the unique opportunity of having the, the uh, these scrimmages and exhibitions. So if it, it's more of a barnstorming model, um, but it's going to okay. be um, – you know, it's a, a structured model, I guess, um, and players are going to have practices and, and such, so um, the talent level will be there. However, uh, we're not going to be offic- officially associated with any league at this time. I see. And do you have a goal in mind for compensation? Obviously, it's going to be much different than the $2,000 you mentioned, but do you have any thoughts as to where you'd like that compensation to go for the season? Um, for this season, uh, to be honest, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of treating it as sort of a, a bridge year in many respects. Um, so I don't I don't think the compensation piece will, will necessarily be there. Um, however, you know, with with the intent of having a greater compensation piece moving forward uh, the following years. I see. And it sounds like a big issue, Jocelyn, is, is the infrastructure part and the, and the facilities. And I know this is something that all women's sports are advocating more equal to men in terms of facilities and training and locker room and all of that, correct? Yes, I think uh, it's, you know, important if you're, if you're playing uh, professional hockey or whatever professional sport it is, you just have, you have the amenities um, that it takes to be an elite and a professional, professional athlete. Um, and so I, yeah, the, the venues don't necessarily have to be as big, um, to start, but I think if you build it, um, that you, you have to start, you have to start somewhere, um, and having the opportunity to play in um, in venues that, you know, seat more than a, a thousand people, um, you know, that's, I think that handcuffs the, the leagues and the games off the bat. And so having having the infrastructure already in place is important. Hillary, you mentioned some of the support you're getting. I know Ballard Spar, the law firm out of Philadelphia, is behind you and helping pro bono. Any other sponsors, companies that you want to mention in terms of providing you support at this point? Um. Yeah, so I think there's there's been a lot of uh, companies, and you, you can kind of just look at social media that have lended a voice to what we're trying to do. Um, for the next iteration of the PWHPA, we're still uh, working through that process because we just we just filed those documents on Friday um, for for companies to get involved. But uh, that's sort of a to be determined um, announcement. But you know, we're really excited in the position that we're in and where we're trying to take the sport and the the support that we have. Um, not only from the fans, but also from, from different businesses and industries. So I think it's a really exciting time to be in sport, and you're going to have to stay tuned to see what's next. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it's a, a strong stand by you guys and coming off the gold medal in 2018. What a, what a moment it is and advocacy for change. Any final comments, Jocelyn or Hillary, about, uh, about what you're doing before we close? I think it's important to note that, um, you know, we've – have um, 
upwards towards 200 players in this association. And these players that are opting out of any current leagues in North America, um, a lot of the players will not see the benefits um, of, of one league in North America. And I think that just notes to how selfless and committed a lot of these players are um, and committed to, to making women's hockey a better landscape for the next generation. And so I can't speak enough um, about the players who are, who are sacrificing this season for sure um, in hopes of something better um, being created. And I think that uh, it's amazing and it's, uh, I'm just proud to be a part of it. I echo that sentiment. And we got to get you out to the game, Andrew. <laughs> I will now that we've had two podcasts on this issue. Uh, and I admire you guys so much, especially this is sort of continuing the pattern we talked about with the um, board counting the championships, a real selfless model for you guys in terms of the greater good. Really impressed by what you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Really hope you enjoyed that interview with Hillary and Jocelyn and such uh, ambassadors for their sport as they try to take a leap. Again, it's going to be a long road ahead, but trying to forge some new ground with gender equity, with treatment of women's hockey, and make new ground. As I said, there's always pioneers in any industry that try to worry about the greater good and think less about their own situation. Hillary, Jocelyn, and so many of these players forming this union are part of that, and hope you enjoyed that. Again, we're sponsored by betonline.ag. We're in the middle of May now. you got NBA and NHL playoffs. Can't miss entertainment. Follow it all. Use promo code PODCAST1. We've got the NBA playoffs. We're getting down to the finals. Golden State's in. We'll see if it's Toronto or Milwaukee. We've got St. Louis in the finals as well. It's going to be in hockey. It's going to be great. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget, PODCAST1 or text BETNOW to 238-669 to get that 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now it's time to hear from you. I take Google Voice at 484-416-5654, 484-416-5654. I always am happy to answer your calls, hear what you have to say, send your question in through voicemail on that. I'll answer it here. And our question this week is from Kyle in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, probably a former follower of mine from the Packer days. Hey, Kyle, here we go. Hi, Andrew. Um, big fan and follower of yours on Twitter, and I love your content. Um, we've chatted a couple times before. I've got the Tiger Woods profile picture, and my at symbol is just uh, my name, Kyle Pavella. And my question for this week was, um, what do you feel like is the most overlooked or underappreciated aspect of being a sports agent? Um, that's dealing with all these contracts and negotiations and is kind of the toughest thing behind the scenes that the average Joe fan sitting on their couch at home, you know, doesn't really respect or doesn't realize makes it so difficult. Um, sorry if that's kind of a loaded question. I, I guess if I could simplify it, it'd be, you know, what's kind of the toughest part behind the scenes of being a sports agent on these huge contract negotiations that your average Joe NFL fan sitting at home you know, just doesn't realize or doesn't take into account. Uh, thanks as always, and uh, keep up the hard work and doing a great job. Bye. 
Thanks, Kyle. And I do know you from Twitter. I know the Tiger Woods picture and I know your name. So uh, thanks for all the retweets and the questions on Twitter. And of course, this question. Listen, a lot to unpack about being a sports agent from the player side. I've been that. I've been on the team side. I guess what people don't realize mostly, and this is not directly about contract negotiations, is that when you represent a player, there's so much more to do beyond contract negotiations. And you can hear from so many different parts of the player. I always say when you take on a player, you take on a herd. That can be their friends, their homies, their their roommates, their parents, their mother, their father, their sister, their brother, their cousin, their aunt, their AU coach, their high school coach, their wife, their girlfriend, their wife and girlfriend. It all happens with these players. So you have to be on call for all of them, not just the player. And sometimes agents will deal a lot more with another person than the player when you talk about client relations. It's the wife. It's the father. It's the mother. You're not dealing very often with the player. As far as contract negotiations, especially in football, as people know from all my writing and talking, is that very few players have leverage negotiations in the NFL. The vast majority of players are taking what the team gives them, whether it be rookie contracts, exclusive rights contracts, players that are veterans that don't have a market. There is that handful of players every year that has tremendous leverage, whether it's players up for contract on their own team who are star players or players that hit the free agent market. There are not a lot of those. So agents that do have that ability to leverage teams should use it because maybe you get it once in a career, if that, for a player, and maybe you get a few handfuls out there like a a Larry Fitzgerald, like a Sam Bradford that have several bites at the apple on the free agent market, but there are not many of those. So this is what you look at when you represent a player is presentation from an agent. Now, you have to be able to present to your client, this is what the team wants to do, and here's why. The player may be upset. Players look at it very simply. I make X, and the guy on Denver or Detroit or Dallas or Miami, he makes X plus Y. I'm better than him. What's the problem? And agents have to explain almost like a team executive that, hey, you're not in your contract year. Hey, they spend so much money on quarterback compared to your team. Whatever it may be, and that's what you have to get across. It's a tough situation. But representing players is an exciting, fun job, but you have to get past quickly sort of the sexiness of it. It's really working for a player, working hard, losing a lot of your um, – free time because you're always on the call. On the other hand, you're not going in an office every day. It's a little more unstructured. You know, I always liken my time as an agent versus my time as a team. Team is much more a secure, sort of stable life. You do work your kind of eight to eight to six. You don't really have night hours except for team, you know, maybe game, game nights or night before games or or obviously certain times of year like free agency or beginning camp. But agents, you're always on call, and it's a lot, as I said, a lot, a lot, 80% of it beyond contract negotiations, whereas team, 80% of it is contract negotiations. So that may have gone past your question, Kyle, but that's what we're talking about when we talk about agents. I'll always sprinkle in things about agents throughout the podcast. Thanks for the call. Again, anyone can call in. I'll answer those questions. Uh, leave your Google voicemail. Happy to do it on the podcast.
That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks to producer extraordinaire Brian Neal. And thanks to you that follow me on Twitter and leave Apple Podcast rankings and the comments. They're really appreciated. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.